Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes. And I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. This is the Engaging Missions Show, Episode 261. This week, we're talking with Steve Addison about his book, The Rise and Fall of Movements. If, if we fail to reach our children and our grandchildren, well, the Nigerians and the Brazilians and the Koreans and the Chinese are on their way. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Thanks so much for stopping by, and welcome to the show. We want to provide a way for thousands of people to hear a message, make connections, and take action. Before we get started, I do want to welcome Jim, who recently liked the Engaging Missions Facebook page. Jim, if you're listening, great to have you here. And also a little bit of Engaging Missions news. Jeff Butterworth, who has been our editor for probably over 100 episodes now, is needing to leave the show. There have been some growth in his business. He does music production and performance and all kinds of stuff like that. There's been some growth in that. And so he's needing to take a step back from the show. And so I just wanted to let you know that that's happening. And also just to say to Jeff, a huge thank you. It's been great to have you being part of this show. And I appreciate that. Our thoughts and our prayers go with you. And on a personal level, I'm hoping for nothing but the absolute best for you. It's been so great to have you be part of this. Huge thank you to you. I do also want to say a quick thank you to our sponsor, Megavoice. With nearly 800 million illiterate adults worldwide, believers are faced with a challenge. How can we empower people to engage with Scripture if they're unable to read? Megavoice manufactures solar-powered audio Bibles in almost 4,000 different languages and dialects so that non-literate people can access Scripture in their heart language. June 20th is World Refugee Day, a day when we remember this highly vulnerable segment of mankind. Due to interrupted schooling and lack of infrastructures, refugees often have much higher rates of illiteracy. The highly durable and secure devices available through Megavoice are being used to share the gospel and trauma response information with refugees all over the world. You can learn more by visiting megavoice.com engagingmissions. From homeless outreach and refugee response to medical missions and trauma recovery, Megavoice Audio Bibles allow ministries to maximize their impact. Huge thank you to Megavoice for sponsoring the show. Find out more at megavoice.com engagingmissions. This week, we're talking with Steve Addison. He's a catalyst for movements that multiply disciples and churches everywhere. He's a missions leader. He's an author and a speaker and a mentor to pioneers. He's written a bunch of books. He's been on the show before. He's no stranger to this show, and it's great to be welcoming him back. This week, we're going to be talking about his new book, The Rise and Fall of Movements. It's a great conversation. You're going to love this, and I think you're going to pick a few things up as we talk through this. You wrote the book, The Rise and Fall of Movements. And my first question, just kind of thinking about this particular book, is why this book and why now? Okay, well, the, the, the book had its genesis 
you know, about more than 20 years ago. In oh, wow. Wrestling with what, what are the dynamics of movements that multiply disciples and churches? I realized as a young church planter that we were never going to reach the world just by adding churches. We, we needed movements. And so this is really the second half of a book I drafted more than 20 years ago. The first half was sort of the key characteristics of movements, and we revisit that a bit. Mm-hmm. But the second half, which became this book, is the life cycle. So why do movements rise and fall how do we steward that that whole dynamic as leaders in in our ministries? Yeah, that's that's great. And as you were, you mentioned leaders, and that kind of brings to mind the question: Who is this book for? Mm. I think anyone who is passionately committed to playing a role in fulfilling the Great Commission, and I'd regard them as a leader, whatever title they may or may not have, <laughs> but they're passionate about making disciples and seeing that disciples grow into maturity in, in, in the community of God's people and that disciples and churches are planted all over this planet. And so, you know, in one sense, that's a very broad group of people. Could just be a local volunteer leader or it could be a, a professional missions leader or, or senior pastor. So, yeah, just they've got that heart for, for multiplying disciples. And it seems like that that heart for multiplying disciples, that's one of the key components of a movement as compared to a ministry. How how do you see those mm. two things being intertwined and yet different? Mm. Well, as as a young church planter, you know, you know, I was I was very focused on on my ministry, on maybe just our local church ministry. And, you know, we're we and rightly so, we're trying to get a job done. But I soon realized that history isn't just made by individual ministries. Movements are, you know, as what Jesus started was, we're going to multiply disciples and that's going to bear the fruit of church formation to the ends of the earth. And the only way to fulfill the Great Commission is to multiply disciples and churches. So while there's nothing wrong with doing ministry, the problem is if you just stop there, we're never going to get the job done. We've we've got to find ways of not only getting other people to help us get the ministry done, but we need to shift the paradigm and, and see see the world as Jesus saw it, which is he came not only to minister, but he, he sparked a movement that's mm. still going to the ends of the earth because he played that role as a movement pioneer of of leading the way and then through his dynamic word and the holy spirit he inspired a movement that goes beyond his own individual physical presence mm. and this is what he started and and as the risen lord this is what he continues to lead that's that's great and as i was going through the book that that part of it really seemed to come through the idea of movements and allowing it to grow beyond ourselves as we set the stage for this I'm wondering, can you help us just maybe with a really brief overview of the stages that you covered when you talked about the the rise and the fall of movements? Okay, well, we've got that birth phase, Mm -hmm. the pioneering phase with a founder and often a small group around that founder. And we look at Francis of Assisi as an example of that. And then, you know, the, the key thing is that the founder is committed to the cause. 
and is willing to take action and, and recruit and mobilize others. And then that just rolls it into the growth phase where we look at John Wesley, where he's not just the early pioneer, but he's consciously building a movement with various building blocks and methods that are proven in the field. And that becomes a movement because it goes beyond what Wesley can do as an individual leader. Now he's raising up leaders, guys like Francis Asbury, who did what Wesley did in the UK, Asbury did in the US. And that was a global phenomena for Methodism. But then often movements plateau, they begin to try and preserve what they've attained. They begin to broaden the mission away from the core missionary task of making disciples. And the example there were the early Quakers, where within a generation, they lost their momentum. They were very successful, and yet that success brought them undone as a movement, as a disciple-making movement. And then we go on and we look at the decline phase where, you know, and, and the decay phase where we finally get to a point where we're repudiating our heritage. Mm. We're repudiating the cause that we signed up for in the birth phase. And that's that's tragic, but it, it happens. And alongside of that, God is always raising up fresh movements that mm. bring renewal and, and a new spurt of mission because the, the constant are not human institutions, but the living God. As as I think about the the different stages, the decline stage is the one that I think probably concerns me the most. Is there one that you find more concerning or perhaps view as more dangerous or more pivotal? Really, the, the tipping point is actually what I call the, the failure of success. Now, decline is very troubling. Decay for me is, well, you've just got to write that off. <laughs> You know, in that sense, it's sad, but it's it's probably beyond redemption. But at the peak of your success, before the decline starts, you begin to make unconscious or semi-conscious decisions to protect what you've gained, to try and find a more acceptable position in society. And it's often religious professionals who do this and to move the focus off the core missionary task. So the irony of it is you're actually at the, the peak or the pinnacle of that bell curve that we use for the life cycle. That's where the trouble starts in mm. the midst of your greatest achievements. So I think that's a key, a key point of intervention. And I give a case study, which yeah. is Peter at Cornelius's house. So it's 10 years since Pentecost, 10 years since the Great Commission. And Peter and the early church have just sort of haven't really picked up the ball in terms of consciously going after reaching Gentiles, pagans, and working out how to incorporate them into what was a Jewish church. Hmm. And, you know, this is God's intervention at this point of, you know, great success and yet they're missing the core missionary task, which was to go to the nations. So there's that confidence that God will intervene. And, and, and you know, you look at that story of Peter and Cornelius. He just, he just rattles Peter to the core. Mm-hmm. He unravels him. And, and then when God has broken in, you know, they get back to the core missionary task. 
they get back to God's intention and the mission moves forward again. That, that's, as, as you reminded me of that story, you know, that I kind of identify a little bit with Peter. And I think that must have been mm-hmm. a very uncomfortable encounter for yeah. him to have gone through. As you look across history, you, you've seen other organizations that have also gone through this kind of thing. Mm. Is that discomfort a common occurrence? Oh, yeah. You, you don't renew or rebirth a movement without discomfort because God has to shake you. And oftentimes it's even redemptive judgment. You know, he's got to discipline movements and institutions if they're willing to hear. Mm. There's another great case study of the birth, well, sort of the rebirth of a missionary movement in the Moravians going back in the 18th century. And this is a group that, you know, the fruit of their example deeply impacted William Carey and John Wesley. But it came out of a a very difficult time in their experience as a movement. Mm. And so it seems, and this is a pattern of scripture as well. You know, what troubled me was to, to get to the book of Revelation and to read again these letters to the churches where the living, the living risen Lord Jesus is saying to the church at Ephesus, guys, get your act together, <laughs> repent, get back to the mission, or I'm going to take your lampstand away from you. You will no longer be a church. And to read that and realize, you know, God is continually visiting us in, in, our, in our history, in our mission in our life, in, in our churches and in our mission agencies and the like. And, and he is disciplining. So we've got to continually come back. And, and what I say is the place to return is, and I, I use the stories of Jesus' baptism and wilderness testing. Mm-hmm. You know, the, these two storage stories sort of launch Jesus into founding the Christian movement. And so there's, we've got to mine these, these two stories for, for, for what it's going to take to renew movements and also what the engine room of movements are. And we just look at, you know, the living obedience to the living word, dependence on the power of the spirit, and a commitment to the core missionary task. They're the three lessons that really reverberate out of those two stories. Mm. And that's how you fuel a movement and how you re, re, rekindle a movement is by getting back to those essentials. I'm going to make an assumption here, and you can tell me if, that I'm, if I'm wrong, but I, I have the assumption that if a movement continues past birth and growth, mm. that the stage of maturity is essentially inevitable if it hasn't, if it hasn't failed at that point. And so... At some point, any organization, any church, any individual walking with Christ has the opportunity to step into maturity and potentially toward decline. And it's only the interaction of the Holy Spirit that then draws us back to that first love. How can we, Mm. if that's true, how can we as leaders and even as individuals best prepare ourselves or equip ourselves Mm. to submit to God when it comes to that time? Well, I think one of the ways is 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 to be very aware of those essentials of the word, the spirit and the mission. The other thing, you know, and I think we do need to recognize no no ministry, no individual, no church or mission is eternal, you know. Yeah. And so there are there are stages in the life cycle. But you don't have to, you know, 
run, you know, sort of sprint towards decline and decay. One of the best things that, and I'm thinking even of individual churches and how these principles apply there, is become a grandparent. Mm. Become First of all, become a parent. So start churches, start mission initiatives that go beyond your borders. Don't let church history stop with you mm. or stop with your, you know, your car park. <laughs> So immediately that you start having children and grandchildren, and if you can get to great-grandchildren, new disciples, leaders raised up, churches planted, you know, new regions reached either nationally or internationally or in terms of people groups, that will renew you. So you might be a church of 5,000, and this is happening, but you can be fueling uh, new initiatives in the same city in which you exist, and you'll be there'll be people reaching those who'll never come across your door, mm. and some of those people we're seeing will end up at the ends of the earth amongst unreached people groups because you help them get a start. So I encourage you know established churches to become parents and grandparents. Mm. That will help renew you. But you may still, you know, you may not be the latest and the newest thing, but at the same time, you know, I'm a grandparent. It's, it's a wonderful experience. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a grandparent, but I've, I've heard it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Th- thinking about the, the topic that we're covering, the life cycle of movements or the rise and fall of movements, as you were working through the material, as you were working through the research and all the different parts that went into this, was there anything that you discovered or that you were reminded of that you found particularly encouraging? Mm. Well, for about the first 20 years of wrestling with this topic, you know, I was looking at church history, organizational dynamics, all of those sorts of things, and the scriptures. I think that the aha moment came less than two years ago because mm. I was in danger of just writing a book where we're, we're going to impose an organizational model of the life cycle on the people of God, mm. you know, and, you know, it's still helpful. Those life, those, those stages are helpful to understand. But it was that moment of insight of seeing Jesus in his baptism, his wilderness testing, and those three themes of word, spirit, and mission being the engine room for the rise and fall of movements and then jumping to that that time between his resurrection and ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's the same three themes, his mm. word, his Holy Spirit, and guys, this is the core missionary task. So that gave me, it's like, what's true north? Wherever you are on the life cycle, whether you're leading a mission agency or a church or just a local ministry or planting churches in in faraway places, keep returning to those three essentials. Mm. So that was a big aha moment less than two years ago. That's probably why the, the Lord delayed the publication of this much-loved book for 20 years. It just <laughs> took me that long to see what's blatantly obvious. But then, okay, it's, it, it is those three things, but then we need to, to make a disciplined application of the other characteristics of dynamic movements that are in some of the other books I've written, mm. and they are 
we're raising up pioneering leaders. We're making, we're accessing contagious relationships in the spread of the gospel. We're rapidly mobilizing ordinary people. And then finally, all our methods are adaptive methods that can spread easily, that are effective and and are simple and zero dollar. Mm. So all of those together, you know, seven key characteristics that as I've looked at this theme of movements now for, I think, about 30 years, I'd say, okay, now (laughs) finally after 30 years, (laughs) I feel like I've come back to where I started, which is the ministry of Jesus, both Jesus of Nazareth and, and Jesus the risen Lord. I'm really glad that you brought that up because in a lot of the conversations I've heard over the last 20 or so years, a lot of times the conversation is around church structure or hierarchy versus not hierarchy or particular methods that are maybe working now versus what was working before. And I love how you honed in on the word, the spirit and the mission and the importance of that. As I think about some of the examples that you put in the book, there's a lot of great examples of how that worked. I'm wondering, though, were there any examples you wanted to put in the book that just just couldn't fit them in? Well, the last chapter is all about, you know, what I call the what's called the No Place Left Coalition. Yeah. So lots of stories from around the U.S., around the Western world, but also global stories. And and so people can read that and be excited and see a great example of how this is being fleshed out today. My great disappointment is I couldn't have, didn't have time and space to research many of the other sort of coalitions mm. and streams that are seeing a lot of fruit in multiplication of disciples and churches. You know, a lot of people will have heard of disciple making movements and influence of, of, of David Watson, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, there are other streams. There's, there's across the globe now, there's a growing understanding of, of the principles of what it takes to see multiplying disciples and churches. And so I could just pick up one of those major streams, but mm. there are many others. It's not to say there's a formula Right. Okay. In one sense, we're looking at those characteristics and in in the rear vision mirror and saying, look, these are the patterns we're seeing both in scripture, in history and around the world. But there's no guarantee that you can just, you know, take my book (laughs) and go into any situation and let's have ourselves a movement of God, you know. And, and that's part of, you know, taking it back to Jesus. You know, what did he have at the end of his life? You know, his movement was shattered by defeat. He hung on a cross and died. And there's something in that for every practitioner. It's not a matter of a formula, hmm. you know, of, of here's seven things, let's go press the buttons. And yet there are patterns in the way that God's works. There are principles in Scripture that we can apply today. So we're just trying to point people to that and say it may be as messy and as costly and as much a battle as the Lord Jesus or Peter or Paul faced. Hmm. In fact, it probably will be. One of the things that stood out to me as you were sharing this, and I found it to be quite encouraging, was the comment that there are multiple streams or multiple organizations Hmm. where we're seeing Hmm. significant growth. 
I suspect, well, I, I know for a fact also that there are other organizations that are in decline or in decay. Mm. And, mm. you know, this being, for all practical purposes, kind of a written version of the last 30 years of your life. Mm. Mm. What's, what's your general feeling as you look at the body of Christ, at the church global and the current landscape around the world? Mm. Well, be encouraged because um, the nations are coming. Yeah, You know, if, if we fail to reach our children and our grandchildren, well, the Nigerians and the Brazilians and the Koreans and the Chinese are on their way. You know, so that's why this is a global task and a, a global workforce now. But, you know, I, I, I think when it, when it comes to that decline phase or, or even feeling like you're in decay, one of the stories I tell is this local church pastor called Charles Simeon dysfunctional church, you know, one stage they locked him out. They, they didn't want to hear the gospel, so they locked the door on their own <laughs> pastor. And all he did, he was at Cambridge, you know, and all he did was start mentoring some students each year, about 20 or so students, training them in ministry, preparing them to go out as, as, as pastors and as missionaries. And he did that for 54 years and after that time, over a thousand leaders coming out of just his ministry. No one gave him permission. No one. He didn't have an official budget from anyone. He just <laughs> said, I'm just going to do this. Despite my church and all the troubles, I am going to grow pioneering leaders, godly leaders. And he transformed the landscape in, in Britain. Many of the People that he raised up ended up coming to places like Australia to, to plant churches. And so I just say to anyone, you know, don't begin with the reality of decline. Begin with the Lord Jesus, his living word, his Holy Spirit, the mandate he's given us to make disciples and just do something. Mm. Even if you don't have permission or funding, just do something and see what happens. You've been working on this book now for essentially, I think you said 20 years, kind of tying a bow on it over the last few months, last year or so. How has finishing this book and putting it all down on paper, getting it ready to go, how has that changed you? I think I've been staggered by God's timing. You mm. know, he, he dropped this whole theme on my heart when I, we were in the middle of a church fight back in 1988, I think. Hmm. And I just started reading and researching. It gripped me. But it awaited a long time. And, and what surprised me was the degree to which God was working in me hmm. to teach, not just so this is some formula I've pulled out of history or the scriptures, but, you know, I'm not the best practitioner in the world, but I had to learn to be on the front line, not just to be a researcher. And, and God's refining work of my own character and spiritual formation, that's probably been the hardest challenge. Mm. And yet to feel like in this book, those two pieces of movement dynamics, but also the life and formation of a leader who, I mean, Robert Clinton at Making of a Leader, he was at Fuller Seminary, had a big impact on me regarding how God shapes us over the whole course of our life. And then to see those two things, the, 
the shaping and the forming of the father in the life of Jesus, but also Jesus as a movement pioneer. So it's very satisfying. I'm just amazed at God's patience and persistence <laughs> to, to sort of shape this message in me. Yeah. If you were able to just sit down with a, a group of church leaders, church planters, missionaries, mm. lay leaders, professional ministers, whatever, and just share with them one thing, what, what would you mm-hmm. want to share with them? I, I'd want to challenge them to return to the life and ministry of Jesus. So find it there in the Gospels. Don't stop with the Gospels. A lot of people do, but realize Jesus rose from the dead and he leads the way in the book of Acts. He inspired the writing of the epistles. So dig deep for both the life being united with him, Mm. but also the ministry. And this is what movements do. They are proactively out in the world, making disciples, planting churches until we get to the ends of the earth and every people group is reached. So keep returning to the life and ministry of Jesus. Let, let that shape who you are, not just what you do. Mm. That's good stuff. And the, the book, as we're recording, the book's not available, but we're expecting it to be available by the time this is published. So where yes. will people be able to pick up the book? Okay, well, they can, just for the latest, they can visit me at movements.net. Mm. But it'll, the, you know, by the time the podcast comes out, it should be available in all the normal challenge, channels. But movements.net's the best place to start. Excellent. And we'll make sure to link that up. And if you go there, make sure that you sign up also for Steve's email newsletter. Check out his podcast as well. A lot of great resources there in addition to the book. One last question for you, Steve, before we let let you go. How can we best pray for you? I feel like my next stage of life is to really focus on identifying and releasing and empowering the leaders who will reach nations. Mm. And I want to decrease and I want them to increase. So just that God would lead me to the right people and shape me so I can help shape them. Yeah. For those of you listening, I would encourage you, take a minute, pause the recording and pray that God would lead him to those people because your prayers matter and what you do matters. Check out the show notes. We'll have linked up for you the movements.net as well as a link directly to the book if we have that available by then. Steve, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. And I also appreciate having a chance to just read the book. So thank you. Great. Well, thank you, Brian. One more time, huge thank you to Steve Addison, not only for writing the book, The Rise and Fall of Movements, but also for taking the time to talk with us and share with us about that book. I'd like to say also thanks to Jeff for your help in producing over 100 episodes of the show, to Gabby for your ongoing work with the show notes, and to Megavoice for your sponsorship. To find out more about Megavoice, that's megavoice.com slash engagingmissions. Show notes for this episode are available at engagingmissions.com slash riseandfall. Or if you're listening in your favorite podcast app, you can probably just tap or swipe to get there. You're going to want to check those out. I've got the link to the book and any of the other resources that we talked about right there. So you'll be able to find that right there. Next week, we're going to be talking with Jonathan Krauss 
from Love Never Fails International about leadership growth and transition, as well as some partnership opportunities. You won't want to miss that. So if you haven't already subscribed to the show, the best way to do that as is at engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. Go there, choose your favorite podcast app and subscribe right there for free. You'll have the next episode delivered right to your podcast app absolutely free. No charge. Glad to do that for you. And if you enjoyed this show or you know somebody who might benefit from it, please help us spread the word. Your recommendation might be able to connect somebody with the resources they need to be equipped, challenged, or inspired. One more time, thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. And I I really think you're going to enjoy this next episode with Jonathan Krause. See you in a couple of weeks.